Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's playoff time, and the road to Las Vegas is well on its way. BetOnline is your number one source for playoff football odds, stats, trends, and lines, with everything from point spreads to hundreds of player info on performance props. Head to BetOnline today to stay updated on all the action. BetOnline, the game starts here. All right, folks, Jeremy Evans, host of the California Sports Lawyer podcast, where we talk about entertainment, media, and sports law topics. As always, appreciate you being with us. Last week, we had uh, Kyle Day with us, who was the um, vice president, general manager of the Spokane Indian um, Indians Baseball Club up in uh, Spokane, Washington. And it's the um, uh, high A affiliate of the Colorado Rockies in Major League Baseball. And this week, we are talking about uh, a phenomenon that's sort of going on uh, in the media and it's sort of looking at how media and content creation and distribution of that media has changed, uh, which may or may not be obvious to you, um, but also how it's creating some opportunities and some challenges. And so when I say media and sort of content is changing, what we're really talking about is sort of the use of social media and how people consume it, right? Now, if you're of a younger generation, you know, you sort of, you live in your own time, meaning that, you know, unless you've crossed over from one generation to another in the sense that, you know, generally as you get older, you realize that um, you sort of go through certain technology, certain sort of ways of life, right? And the longer that you live, the more perspective you have in that regard. But, um, you know, obviously when you're growing up, you really only have the perspective that's pretty much in front of you and maybe a little bit from your, from your short past. Right. So it's interesting because, you know, when let's say before the phone was invented, you know, how did people communicate? They wrote letters, they did things in person. And of course the phone's invented. And then of course, uh, you know, the internet's invented. And then of course you have, um, you know, cell phones. And then prior to that you had, you know, pagers and, so again, the way that people consume content and then you had, you know, television and then it was color television. And then of course you went from, you know, maybe three or four channels to hundreds, if not thousands of stations. And of course, with the way music is consumed, it used to be that, you know, you might have, you know, a record player, you'd watch something live or uh, you watch something on television. Uh, but nowadays it's like, you've got Spotify and really unlimited music. And in some ways you can, uh, listen to music you haven't listened to in a long time or be introduced to new music because you have instant access to it. And of course, because these things are online, there tends to be um, less expenditure in terms of, you know, brick and mortar and real estate. Uh, although the storage of some of these things and the distribution of some of these things can obviously be very expensive. But the point is, is that through all of these changes, there's been some major changes to the media landscape. And what am I referring to specifically? Okay. 
So recently there was a couple articles. One was in Front Office Sports and one was in The Hollywood Reporter. And the one in the Los Angeles um, for the um, fr Front Office Sports was referring to the Los Angeles Times. And it was talking about how the staff was going to be laying off 20 plus percent of its newsroom, meaning that there would be no beat writers, no essentially writers for covering the Dodgers, the Clippers or the Angels in uh, in Los Angeles and in Southern California. And you might be thinking, well, how could that be? You know, I mean, especially when you're looking at uh, some of the changes that the Dodgers have made in the offseason. Obviously, the Clippers are a good team. Uh, the Angels are, uh, you know, making strides with uh, with some player acquisitions, but it would probably be a, a, a building year. But again, the point is, is that generally it was always that you had journalists following the sports teams. And this highlights a larger problem uh, of uh, what the Hollywood Reporter was talking about, that no matter how many mergers and acquisitions you can do, no, no matter how much equity investment you can get in to the media space, there just doesn't seem to be an existence of a need for media as it's been, right? And that may seem obvious, you know, business changes all the time, but it's very difficult for large companies to make large adjustments, right? So generally they do mergers and acquisitions, they acquire the competition, and of course, they have to deal with uh, any sort of antitrust violations and issues with that. But the point being that both of these articles highlights is that the media industry has changed and there's been and going to be some massive layoffs in, you know, with the Los Angeles Times, some other major papers across the country. And it really raises some questions. Uh, number one, as to why is this happening? And number two, what's going to be done about it, Right. So sort of backing up to square one and to a foundation, you know, looking at this, you know, clearly the media has changed and the sort of way content is created and distributed has changed. And of course, the businesses who support those and the folks who are involved in this has also changed with the times. And we'll get into what that means. So first of all, social media has changed the way in which people consume, read and watch the news, right? That's a given. And I think most people recognize that even if you grew up on social media and didn't, you didn't have a period of time in your life where you had not experienced that. I think most people agree that social media has changed the way people consume content. I think streaming has changed the way that people view film and entertainment television content. You know, clearly when the Academy is looking at uh, different ways to give awards and giving streaming awards, clearly, you know, that, that something has changed, Right. Because distribution has changed. The viewing content, uh, the habits of folks has changed. Podcasting and the streaming of music and the streaming of content through podcasting has clearly led to more knowledge and information. And of course, like I mentioned, the businesses and industries surrounding entertainment, media, and sports and other industries has clearly changed its contracts. The trade unions have changed. The collective bargaining agreements have changed. Look at the WGA and uh, SAG-AFTRA as examples, and the DGA and their recent deal. And of course, it's changed the sort of the line for best practices and what goes on there. Now, look, arguably, there's never been a time in history where we've had more information to consume and that is very easily collected. Uh, it's just a matter of going to the internet and searching it, right? The issue with that prospect is that one, it requires internet access, so there's some um, accessibility issues there, particularly for people in countries who have less resources. Uh, 
Uh, but generally, I would say, you know, ultimately, if you have internet access, um, you know, you're going to have access to the information. So it's a matter of getting access to the internet and you'll have the information, which I think is possibly a better prospect than um, not have anything at all. Uh, you know, generally, you're going to get it through books and through libraries. Um, and of course, that's still important and still an important part, even when you have the internet, right? So, and then the second piece being that it's possibly too much information and people need, as they've always needed to do, is to learn how to consume that information and know what to do with it, right? Uh, I think that in, in this day and age, maybe you might even get uh, sort of uh, choice paralysis or analysis paralysis, as the, the saying would go. Now, of course, look, I mean, one of the benefits of sort of this changed media landscape is that each individual, all of us now have the opportunity with a small budget and internet access to become your own producer, your own talent, some ways, everyone has a voice. And you know, that really should be the beginning of a winning proposition. You know, everybody has a voice, right? And it is, there's no doubt about that. And it's something that we should definitely strive to protect. I think also though, is that as much as people desire to be heard and become voices to listen to, people need to make equal efforts and take responsibility for what they consume, right? And how they consume it and how they use it. And I think that's whole, that whole personal responsibility issue. Now, obviously businesses in the media space need to understand that as well and they need to adapt, right? So maybe it's about delivering more quality and high quality content uh, at the highest ethical standards, particularly in the news, as opposed to be focusing on views and sales and advertising. So for example, I don't generally watch, um, and I'm not going to be sitting around in the morning or in the afternoon or at night watching a cable or watching the news broadcast. One is that because I'm busy, I've got other things that, you know, take priority and other ways that I can consume content. Right. But I think one of the things that's been a sort of driver for decreased viewership is that many of the news stations focus on sales and advertising in the sense that not just the prospect of having to w listen to an advertisement as opposed to watching news that's been um, sort of moved to a smaller form. So you're watching a highlight and you're, you're sort of skipping the, the commercials or even more so the news is sort of sold as an advertisement where you're essentially watching news and it's selling something and it's selling something that's salacious or depressing or sad because generally those things sell versus a happy story. But, you know, if I was running a news station, I think I'd be more focused on sort of telling the truth and putting the information out there and having trustworthy, um, you know, folks leading that group uh, and giving out uh, trustworthy information. I think that would win over some people. Look, I'm not an expert in this, but that just seems to me to be the practical piece. So as I mentioned, Los Angeles Times is laying off uh, at least 20% of its newsroom, which means that there's going to be no beat writers, right, for the LA Dodgers, Clippers, and Angels. Now, of course, uh, there's an interesting scenario here that was likely to happen even without these layoffs, but it's this idea that there's probably going to be more Japanese press covering Shohei Otani and Yoshinobu Yamamoto for the Dodgers than American journalists. Now, again, this is probably going to happen anyway, um, you know, sort of with the um, impression that those two players make and, and the fact that, um, 
the entire Japanese um, country is really excited about uh, uh, these two players. I mean, Shohei Otani, I think, transcends sports in many ways, and it's going to be a, a very interesting thing to watch. And this is a great thing, right, by the way. It's great that the Japanese press is going to be following this. It's definitely something I'm looking forward to, and it's going to be interesting, too, where we can get some of those um, articles uh, translated so you can read some of those articles uh, from Japanese to English. So I think it's going to be interesting. And frankly, you might even see that if LA Times doesn't fill the gap with writers and other sources don't, uh, I think that's probably what's going to end up happening. But I also think there's going to be some other phenomenon here in the sense that you know, you'll have other media outlets jump in or you'll have independent news outlets jump in uh, that cover some of these sports. But the the sort of growth of sports, the growth of media has been great internationally, and I think that it's constantly growing more internationally. But I think the question and the concern is what it means for the free press in Los Angeles and the United States. Because the less that you have people covering things and engaged in things, uh, I think it creates problems, right? And it creates a vacuum, if you will, of news and resources, and that's never a good thing. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we push through this podcast. Now, of course, as I mentioned, the news outside of California is not much better. Uh, other major newspapers and media outlets are also making significant cuts to staff. I mentioned the Hollywood Reporter out, um, in an article, and the quote that I pulled from that article uh, said, quote, it just seems like no one, not the billionaires, not the private equity turnaround experts, not the family legacies, have a sense of how to make it work, end quote. And I think that that's true. All these companies are looking for mergers and acquisitions, and it's just not fitting the bill. And of course, um, this of course highlights the fact that there, I think, is several reasons and solutions to the massive changes, and which we'll get into now. First of all, which we talked about in the beginning of uh, this podcast, was this idea about social media. So I think, first of all, social media and the low cost of distribution through things like Google-owned YouTube, um, Spotify, uh, equipment being inexpensive, and internet access, all of those things combined really gives everybody a platform and everyone a platform to speak from, or at least an opportunity to do so, right? I think this is a good thing and should be encouraged. I think there's going to be a temptation amongst politicians and maybe government regulators to look to decrease access through some sort of registration or another form of limiting the internet or sort of distribution, or you may even see some businesses trying to decrease access through increased pricing. However, I think that ultimately uh, the use of social media uh, means that people do not need to rely on mainstream media for news. So until something, either one of two things happens, either some new thing is invented or um, basically there's some sort of regulation um, and or connected to that the uh, mainstream media joins in on social media and sort of looks at a way to continue to distribute content that way, which I think in many ways it's already been uh, been doing. So maybe two or three different things there. Second, I think access to Google and the internet has made everyone an instant expert. Now, this is good in the sense that you can get information. And information is great. Information is power in many ways. But more than that, it's the research, it's the analytics, it's the data, and it's most importantly understanding the information and how to apply it and how to implement it that's important, right? 
you read a manual on how to fix a car, you don't actually work on fixing the car, doesn't really have much value, right? So to my, my, my point here is that people need to take personal responsibility to understand what they're reading, who the source is, and what the resources are were used in creating and disseminating the media, right? And of course, the mainstream media is learning this lesson the hard way because it's having to lay off workers in response to its unresponsiveness to the changing times, right? Instead of more focusing more on social media, focusing more on short clips and highlights, more like the sports broadcasts do, and focusing more on just delivering content as opposed to politicizing it or adding political opinions or this sort of thing. Because there's a time and place for that, but it's not in the dissemination of sort of your general mainstream news. And it's also about, you know, providing the good with the bad, right? So if you tell a, a negative story, it might be nice to also put in there, even if it's just for psychological purposes, to tell a good story, right? Provide some of the good things as well. Again, I'm not a news media expert, but these are just some of my sort of comments as somebody who's involved in the space. And so you have the mainstream media, you know, where I think, again, I think they'd be better off by focusing on social media and streaming, hiring some of its competitor independent talent uh, in terms of the folks that are creating all these news news media outlets, creating news way, new ways of distribution, bringing some of those people in because those voices clearly have some trust. And if you bring those folks in and you allow them to have the freedom to continue to create, obviously there's going to be some challenges there. Uh, with any sort of corporate structure. Um, and again, having a uh, short broadcast, more like sports highlights, because people are just, people just don't have the, at least the younger generation, uh, the, the sort of level of attention is just not there to be focused on watching an hour long of a broadcast, right? Maybe the older generation does. Um, and you have to find that balance, right? Cause you got to meet folks where they're at and provide these different sort of uh, categories of being able to, uh, distribute and um, consume content, right? And again, as I mentioned, getting back to reporting the news versus ideologies and political opinions. I think that's the big lesson learned in the last, I don't know, 10 years at least. So, of course, Google and social media have really made news media outlets less relevant because the information can be obtained in different places that do not require a cable subscription or really anything else. A third aspect, I think, to this to keep in mind is the use of artificial intelligence. I think that it would be unwise to rely solely on AI to collect and report on news or really anything in the media because I think that, you know, ultimately with AI, you're using sort of generative AI or some sort of computer-based um, knowledge that's inputted to create something. And you're giving it an algorithm to say to do this and come up with something. There's been some talk about this in the sports industry where you might have AI and some sort of generative AI uh, search the internet for the score and what's been written in the past and then basically write a story about what happened at the game last night. Uh, not only is this a potential problem and is a problem for sort of humans who want to work and have these jobs, I think there's an, some ethical sort of concerns and whether something is good for mankind, right? I think that ultimately... If you're going to consume a story, you would like to know that it came from uh, somebody who is writing that story, uh, you know, a human like yourself, right? But I think these questions are so interesting. It just feels like a, like a sci-fi movie. I think a lot of people probably feel that way too. But it's just something to keep, keep your eye on because I think that 
some of these news outlets might be tempted to do that and rely on artificial intelligence to write some of these articles and to help with some of this reporting. And we'll see how that plays out because I think it just provides for so many different questions to ask, right? And of course, as we all know, another fake news dilemma is really not what the mainstream media needs. Uh, so I, I think, um, you know, people want the truth and, and I think reporting the truth builds trust. And I think at this point in time, it's sadly um, uncertain whether that lesson will ever be learned. Because uh, I think, you know, ultimately we're seeing much more of uh, the mainstream media either looking to uh, gobble up other uh, news media outlets and sort of um, continue to build in a sort of a traditional way. Uh, but I think the folks that are going to survive are going to be the ones that are going to be um, the ones that are going to be looking for change and the ones that are going to be looking to ways to reach people in a different way and to report the news in a different way. Uh, and to maybe get back to some of the foundational sort of bedrock principles of journalism and reporting. So very, very interesting, something to keep your eye on with artificial intelligence in the news, whether that be sports or reporting the news or whatever it might be. Fourth, I think people like choice. I may go out on a limb and say that, but I think people do like choice, especially Americans. I would go as far as to say that uh, it's, as, it's as American as apple pie in terms of people having choice. I mean, if you look at really just our foundational documents as a country, Declaration of Independence, you know, written by Thomas Jefferson, talks about, quote, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So really from our country's foundational document, uh, along with the U.S. Constitution, literally encourages choice by pursuing liberty and happiness and the government to help protect that, right? And the people that we elect to office to do those things and protect that. It also encourages innovation and invention and creation. So to create these things. So in many ways, it's funny because the time that we're living in, we're sort of the golden era of creation of content, but in some sense, maybe not the greatest time where we're talking about the reduction of the free press and the reduction of reporting from a traditional mainstream side. And maybe that might be a good thing because maybe it's a it's sort of a changing of the guard, changing of it to where reporting is more coming from the people as opposed to media entities. But I also think that maybe a good mix there is, is uh, beneficial. Um, and so we'll sort of see how that plays out. But then clearly too, the whole point of the free press, which is established in the First Amendment to the United States Constitution, is this idea of you know, no abridging the freedom of speech or the press. Um, these things are very, very important, again, and foundational. So anytime you hear about reduction in the press, reduction in um, the media not being able to do its job or being, you know, uh, for whatever reason, for layoffs or cutbacks or changing in the industry, clearly the businesses need to make changes so that they can adjust to the times, right? And of course, Again, this is uh, so important, I think, for people to understand and people to respect. And I think in many ways, it's what, um, you know, really should set America um, on a different course and really above um, sort of what it's been doing in the sense that uh, I think from a business and media standpoint, I think this idea of independent media is really a good thing. But I also think that uh, balance is key. And I think that some of these media groups need to find ways uh, to 
uh, adjust with the times. You know, clearly people are leaving your traditional media choices to go and consume media in other places because they're not happy with the current prospect. They're not happy with the current distribution, right? Which goes back to this whole point of media and content and creation and distribution. It's changed. It's already changed and it's going to continue to change. And it sort of creates opportunities and challenges, which we've sort of gone over. And as an example, you know, look at the way ESPN hired um, Pat McAfee, right? Very sort of um, eccentric individual, very fun. People love the guy. Probably some people out there that don't like him. You know, I happen to like him. I think, you know, I think he, he does a good job with his show. But again, it's a choice, right? It's a new choice. And it's something that wasn't there before. Now, he did have his YouTube show, which is very popular. And now he's getting paid a lot more money to do his and guaranteed money as opposed to relying on advertising and um, views as you would on um, YouTube. Um, you know, guaranteed money. Obviously, ESPN still cares about views and still cares about that. Clearly, that's why they hired him. But it, it's he was also different and independent from other sports analysts. And I think he created a listenership that felt trusted to him and he felt trustworthy, right? And of course, now again, as we mentioned earlier, when talent joins a corporate environment, there's clearly going to be challenges. And actually, McAfee has come across this problem. Uh, particularly when he's had certain guests on the show, um, like Aaron Rodgers and others, where you know, you sort of, uh, you have challenges there because as folks want to sort of speak uh, their minds, um, you know, clearly you're going to have um, some folks in the corporate office that are not going to want that uh, because they want to, you know, they care about the viewership numbers or what have you. What's interesting, though, as anybody should know, is that um, clearly that controversy created higher viewership numbers. I'm sure people were listening and more the next day, um, you know, after something bad happened to, or some controversy happened because they want to see what happens next. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line. Um, but, uh, but ultimately I think that the, the mainstream media needs to adjust and clearly the numbers are showing that. But I also think that it's interesting because the data is pretty clear and there are more and more, political analysts out there that are doing independent roles. There's more and more sports commentators doing the same thing. I mean, you know, I'm an example, you know, having a podcast and creating my own content. It's not something that would have been done in the past, really. Uh, and if it was done, there wouldn't be many people consuming it because there was no internet or websites or social media or what have you to distribute that, right? So the average Joes and Jills like you and me can go out there and sort of do these things and create and distribute and listen to media. And I think the piece that the mainstream media and the larger companies need to pick up on, and I think some companies have been better at this than others. Spotify, I think is a good example of bringing in new artists and bringing in new content and new podcasts and providing an open platform to do some of this. YouTube's been good with this. The news media, not so much, right? They've been a little more self-contained, a little more self-controlled. But I think if you're looking to have some success, it's bringing in more independent folks and it's bringing, so instead of merging with larger companies, it's bringing in the talent that's trusted and giving them a platform to do what they've been doing. Uh, just have it run through uh, the company bank account versus theirs, right? So we'll see how that all plays out. But I think, look, at the end of the day, people like businesses and politicians, they need to be renewed once in a while. You know, you need to renew your mind once in a while, from time to time. 
And I think media businesses could stand to learn a thing to do thing or two about consumer choice and need and interest and being renewed in mind. And again, as we've been talking about this entire, you know, podcast, um, there's there's opportunities and challenges, right? And I think, you know, many of these things uh, are important, they're foundational uh, in terms of the free press and having access to information. And look, you might be saying, well, you know, how big of a deal is it that there's not going to be a beat writer for a certain team? But I think it lays the foundation for potentially what could happen in other places. You know, I think, you know, having coverage, um, and it, of course, this is just talking about sports, right? And entertainment, if you're talking about, you know, other sort of, um, you know, let's say more important aspects, like in life and death and sort of news in that regard and health and wealth, um, clearly um, there's going to be some uh, some missed opportunities there too with with uh, sort of the laying off uh, of folks. And this reminds me of an article that I read last week about TikTok and the whole, it was in the Hollywood Reporter. And what it talked about was this idea that you know, if there was any doubt as to the importance of Hollywood content in film and television, you didn't need to look further than TikTok, a social media platform, because on there you sort of have arguments going on about, you know, what content they like and what shows they like. And of course, you look at the content on most platforms, on uh, on X, on Facebook, on Instagram, people commenting on posts and liking posts and sharing content related to film and television and business and sports and of course sports is no exception you know, social media and sports um, you know sports lives on social media in many ways and of course people talk about it they comment on it so i think these things are really important for media going forward and really important for how things are distributed and created again i think we live in a time where we um, have access to many things but i think the key is going to be how do we utilize those things and how the businesses adapt to those changes so Appreciate you listening in. Uh, this has been a great time as always. Thanks for making us a um, uh, the, with a great listenership and, and of course, the, the top-rated entertainment media and sports law podcast in the world. As always, thank you for joining in. And uh, we look forward to being back with you next week. This episode has been brought to you by Bet Online, and look forward to being with you very soon. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.